piece of work is man? How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. I have of late, but wherefore I know not lost all my mirth. This goodly frame the earth seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy the air, look you. This brave or hanging firmament, this majestic roof, fretted with golden fire. Why it appears no other thing to me than a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is man, how noble in reason. You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Kyler Roberts. Uh, Kyler's new book is Sunburning from the fine Koyama Press, um, one of my favorite comics publishers and should be yours as well as well as previous self-published collections powdered milk and misery land both collecting uh kyler's um mini comic powdered milk um which you've been doing i guess for like the last seven or eight years was it 2009 um, you started? yeah um uh, it was 2009 eight years now i first became aware of your work um, and it, it's kind of neat reading this book of oh how I became aware of work you talk about in the book is uh, when you sent Meg Lemke to SPX with a stack of mini comics to give out oh yeah um, lovely Meg Meg uh, used to does she still run the comic section at Brooklyn Book Festival I can't remember yes yes she does and she's um, she's working at Pan America. Um, and she's still doing Mother Magazine, um, and she's working with the French Comics Art Association. I don't know exactly what it's called. That's just so bad. Um, she just organized a big thing with the ALA that was in Chicago and these French artists and um, brought them over and hosted them, got them connected with the ALA. It was very cool. Yeah, she's fantastic. Um, and it... Um, so it was a good intro to your work, a nice person telling me to check this out, uh, and I really enjoyed. And then as I get to kind of read your work more and kind of get a better understanding of kind of where you're coming from, I'm really interested in kind of how do we get to this point with your work, um, to the point of these comics, because I feel like there's a lot before Powdered Milk of your own kind of creative exploration to get to that point. Yeah, um, I mean, I got, uh, I went to art school um, or to Northwestern to get a degree in art, um, and I was a painter for about 10 years, um, and then I was trying to do a bunch of, 
I kept wanting to quit painting and I didn't really know how to do it because I needed something to replace it in my life because I was so, I don't know, I've got to be making something all the time. Um, so I did a blog. Um, it was like right when everybody was just starting to make blogs and people read them. <laughs> <'cause there laughs> a million of them. Um, and yeah, I, I did a couple of blogs and then I started comics and I've been doing um, my work in comics has been the most consistent thing that I've ever done for this amount of time. Um, when was comics something that you wanted to take your work into? What was that shift? So I have always kept a journal and I had been interested in doing children's books and I, I always really liked the idea of having a book. Even as a painter, I thought, oh, when I can get a book of my paintings, <laughs> that'll be a book somehow. Um, and part of, I don't know, it's just, I love having books to look at and read. Um, but I love walking into a library and just seeing rows and rows of books and like sensing the possibility. And I just like always fantasize about having my book somehow there, but I didn't know what that could be. I didn't know anything about alternative comics until, um, until I started, you know, taking a comics course. Um, so I had done, I had taken my journals and taken little, you know, snippets of them out of context and I was putting them with a little illustration that I did on um, this blog that I had called Observation and Affection and um, I I don't know Scott my husband Scott Roberts he said I think comics are the thing for you and I knew about like Dan Klaus and people who like drew with an exceptional facility and you know like the top of the game you know yeah well-known people um and i just thought well i will never ever be able to draw anything like that you know like um my drawings will always be inconsistent there'll always be something awkward about them um and so uh but i decided to take the class anyway because i figured well, I'm doing this blog and the blog can be anything. So whatever I learned from a comics class, I can, you know, apply it to my blog somehow, or I don't know. I just like didn't have rules for myself. So, um, Aaron Renier was teaching a class at DePaul, um, and Scott lined it all up so that I could take the class. Scott teaches, he's the head of animation at DePaul um, oh, University. Okay. And so he, he hired Aaron and I was also teaching full time at the time. And he arranged Aaron's class to be right after one that I taught, so it would be super convenient for me <laughs> to go. Uh, and uh, so I took this class, and it was fantastic. And it was um, it was really weird, like teaching a class and then going to class immediately after. But it was fantastic. And I, Aaron, you know, brought in a huge bunch of his mini comic collection and showed us all these people and. Right away, I realized, like, oh, my God, this is definitely something I want to do for a really long time and be part of. Um, and that's in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron's such a neat talker on comics, and that's kind of, like, a great intro is, like, they have this, like, really soft, nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the best intro, and he he knows everybody. If you ask anybody... Um, like it's um, it always comes back to him somehow everybody's got like this um, wonderful 
past history with him it seems yeah no i i'm a, I'm a fan of uh, of him um it's interesting looking at some of your early comics where you're kind of getting to know a bit of like the chicago comics community uh how much time was there between doing um taking that course and kind of exploring it and really starting to do the powdered milk minis um, there was no time in between. I did volume one of Potter Milk as the final assignment for his class. We had wow. to just do a mini comic. It had to be, I think, 10 pages um, or maybe eight pages. I don't know. And then um, it was, you know, his idea was that it could be based on our childhoods. But he said, you know, you could really do anything. Some people did fantasy. Um, it was mainly just like a guideline in case you couldn't think of something. Um, but that's what I wanted to. I thought, oh, gosh, I can't think of anything more exciting than writing about my childhood. So I stayed with that. Yeah. Um, going into doing autobio or, or memoir type work, um, what do you find you want to get um, to capture with that stuff? Because um, you veer between short stories to one panel moments. And I'm interested of like kind of how you catalog your life in that way. Yeah, I mean, there's a big difference between, you know, my life and my comics, and there's a big difference between, like, the journal writing that I do, which is for me, and my comics. Um, and I'm aware of, you know, editing, and everything is true, um, pretty much. I mean, I might, like, have a conversation in my kitchen and draw it somewhere else, outside or something, um, and the words are edited, but there is close to you know, reality is I can remember it. Um, but it's still seems like really like my cartoon self really is a character. And I think of that as like a very different person, um, from who I am. Um, I mean, it's funny how honest you can be about experiences, but I still feel like I have a sense of privacy. I still feel like I'm living my life without like watching it with a comic lens, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. You're not like going to this to a moment and going, okay, how's tonight going to make it into my strip? Like, it's right. a separate role. Yeah, it's separate, and things come back. Um, like the timing, I think, it has gotten more and more detached from when things happen. Now that I'm working on full books, like Sunburning, was all new content made for that book. Mm-hmm. Nothing was done as minis. And the book I'm finishing now um, is the same. And I've just finished inking material that happened last summer. So it's um, having a, I don't know, writing stories that happen at any time um, and not just like last week or something. Also, I don't know, it gets... uh, I don't know, more into the realm of creative writing, I guess. and Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you, you have less of that immediacy where it's like you did that experience and now you're doing something about it where you have a lot of reflection going into it. I right. Guess. And I don't mean that journal writing isn't creative writing. Like some of, I love a lot of cartoonists that write in a really direct way, almost like they are, it seems like they're writing to themselves. You know, they journal so yeah. kind of faithfully um it's not what i i don't it's not what i'm interested in doing but i love it when other people do that well yeah 
No, I get that. Um, and I think one of the things I find interesting about your work is uh, there is a big openness to it, which you don't really find as much in journal stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of how I mean the openness, like it really breathes. Because sometimes I think of journal stuff like uh, Gabrielle Bell, where it's dense and you're like fully immersed into what's happening that moment and that day. Um, where with your, your work, I'm finding there's more space. Does that make sense or am I totally just... Yeah, no, I mean, I can... I mean, her work is very text heavy. She also draws a lot of people in many of her panels. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are really dense visually and in terms of content. And uh, she's one of my favorite artists. Um, I, I'm like always really glad when there are these differences because I... You know, if I'm gonna copy anybody, like she would be the person I would be most <laughs> likely to copy. <laughs> um, so I'm happy that you know that that we're not that similar. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that I try to edit my work. You know, I write a paragraph and then I try to get it down to a sentence, or I write 12 pages and you know it ends up being a three-page story. Um, that's happening more and more, and I think that that's actually where the like space comes from realizing how much stuff I don't need to put in there. People can fill in the blanks. Um, now you, uh, I'm a little interested in, in your previous painted work and I'm wondering if there is any connection there at all between where you, where you kind of arrived and ended up with your comics and like, was it figurative? Uh, was it not figurative? Yeah, um, it was photo real paintings from my snapshots, pretty much, and it was a lot of people, dogs. Some of it was still lives, um, but even when it was like not figurative, I mean, a still life is almost figurative. I mean, I guess it is in a, um, in a sense uh, because it, there's like a main object. You know, I never did like just a space. Um, the uh, I wanted it to be so much about like a glimpse of life and a personality um, and a sense of humor. Like those are the things I think I'm definitely striving for with my comics, and I wanted my paintings to be that way. Um, but painting is so tricky; it's so hard to communicate through painting. It's got its own language. It's got you know a history that's like always referencing itself. Um, there were I just felt like there were so many layers that you had to explain. Yeah. And I just, somebody to like look at the painting just get it you look at it and you get it right yeah. <laughs> you know? and that just didn't seem to be happening with all that many people and the people who did just like kind of look and get it um or thought they did you know they were like other painters you know they were like such a small number of people yeah. um and i don't want to make work that's just like this tiny demographic um for my audience you know, I'd like people to have like no knowledge of comics or art or anything and still like be able to just read my book and get something out of it just because they're a person. Mm -hmm. There's like an immediacy to your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are there a point points where you're kind of, as you're working your way through, learning to do comics, um, kind of figuring out your storytelling beats, um, is there a point where you kind of figured out like okay this is exactly not exactly but like this is kind of the direction i want to take with 
this uh, style of memoir um, comicking? Uh, I think I've always had a sense of what I want to do, but I don't know what 100% until I'm actually like writing the stories. I don't work things out in my head unless I'm sitting down with paper, you know? Yeah. Um, but it changes. I mean, there was a t there was some volume. It was like maybe nine, ten, eleven. It wasn't ten. That was the one that was really different. The man who was um, could not read. Um, but it was like right after that, I was drawing a lot of comics with Zia, and she was a toddler, and she was just saying really funny things. And I got into a rhythm of it was like six panels on a page, you know, there's like a build up and then a punchline at the end. <laughs> or there's like one vignette and she's saying something really great. Um, and it felt like I did that like as many times as I could. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I that I needed to like just rely on something else or discover something else. So, um, so I made a mini comic, you know, number 12, didn't have her at all. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, it's probably not like my strongest issue or something, but I just had to do something a little bit different. And then I was able to maybe return to her a little bit. Um, you know, but like, I, so, I, you know, all these years, it seems like it's been really steady growth, you know? Yeah. And now I feel like I don't know anything. All of a sudden, I feel like I never want to write again. <laughs> I, it's, it's like a it's kind of an awful place to be. Um, but I know it's temporary, you know, like, yeah. it's just, why do you think that? I, why, what? No, go ahead. You're going to say something. I think it's the first time I've really felt it for this amount of time, like this heavily since I started making comics. Um, you know, it's not just like a couple of days of this, like I really feel, um, like something's ending, but, um, you know, I know that I can't trust myself or my moods. <laughs> That's one thing I know for sure. Yeah. A little blip. Do you, is there anything like creatively that you kind of get caught up in? Is this like something you felt with other, like with painting where it's like. With painting, I felt it all the time. Every three months I had finished a body work and I felt like, okay, that's, done I can't do that anymore I have to start over completely yeah. and work would really shift I would you know have a, a, a very different look for the next three months um, I mean that that just went on for years so and a lot of that was style like changing the, I don't know or subject matter I mean I don't know I just like I suddenly feel like I don't want to write about myself mm -hmm. um, and that's been kind of the the glue <laughs> that's been very consistent it's it's interesting like when you place because everyone writes about themselves um yeah. when they're doing sci-fi they write about themselves um right. but it's it's that difference of when you make yourself a character and when someone else is a cipher for your character mm-hmm yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk about um, your latest work uh, from Koyama, Sunburning, okay. um, and kind of that that shift from um, compounding everything into mini comics or into shorter stories, uh, and kind of what the idea was with that as a longer work within itself. 
Yeah, I mean, the structure actually ended up being almost the same. It's a bunch of shorter works that could have been put in minis and like after the fact. And I think for Sunburning, even though it was made as like one big book all done at the same time, um, or not one big book, one book, um, I finished it story by story, you know? So I had this like constant kind of, you know, writing, penciling, inking, you know, whatever um, cycle going on. Um, I think like definitely things are fragmented in the way I experience in them, um, the way I remember things. Um, sequence doesn't seem to mean that much to me. And it's not just in the way I write. I mean, it's definitely in the way I teach. I tell people like the first day, I'm not going to follow any order. I'm not even going to be able to read the syllabus in order. <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> but everything comes out and gets covered in its own time. And it allows for, you know, spontaneity, like in the middle of a critique, somebody's drawing will remind me of rhythm, you know, or something. And then I'll give a little talk on rhythm, like in the middle of it, because mm -hmm. um, the example is just sitting there ready to go. Um, so I don't know, I guess, like with my writing, there are all these things, like I think this is, um, like there are people I would like to write about or you know, some aspect of my life that I think like would make a good story. But then when I sit down to write, something else will come out um, as not what I like intended necessarily um, or planned. It's just what comes out at that second. And it's not something that's even been on my mind necessarily. Um, so there, it's like this, I don't know. It's just a fragmented mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I feel like I don't have control over it, but I do it in, in my own peculiar way. I I didn't feel fragmented reading the book. Um, yeah. Like I know it's you know vignettes, little short pieces, but like I read books that are like that and specifically set out to be short pieces that come together for a longer narrative. Um, but it felt just more like how life is. Good. Yeah, um, I mean, I, that's great. <laughs> that's the best possible outcome. I mean, that was something that I worried about, you know, before I got any reviews of any books. Um, like when I sent out Misery Land, I thought, definitely people are going to pick on my structure. Um, because in that book, it w I mean, it is like a lot of vignettes and stories. And then there's, you know, one section, the... Um, the one I, I said is volume 10, The Man Who Cannot Read, is like so totally different from everything else in that book. But I wanted to include it, and I didn't want to tack it on to the beginning or the end and make it seem separate. I just put it in. But since it like starts with a childhood memory, it actually goes completely. Um, it is the way people live. Things happen in yeah. one day, and then it makes it seem connected. But that's the only reason why. Um, or some theme follows you through your life and, you know, then time doesn't matter at all. You just pick all these things out of, you know, any old time and put them together. I mean, I always have, like, when I was laying out sunburning, um, you know, I printed out all the pages and lay it all over the floor and then try to, like, look at it and figure out what the order is going to be. Um, so, obviously, like, there's a theme of Zia, you know, and her interaction with me. Food is a really big theme in that book. Um, 
you know, there's like health problems for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just wanted the tone. I almost like, it's almost like color coded, like a mood chart. <laughs> you know, the book. Um, so I, I get all the, you know, the blue pages <laughs> separated in a certain way and the yellow pages um, for anxiety and um, sort of more somber things and then a relief. Cool. I want to talk about some of the health stuff um, because I feel like as as the book, you know, it's things put together. You have specific things you want to cover in your work and specific things you want to touch on and certain parts of yourself you want to reveal um, or just not sort of reveal as much as be able to kind of talk about in a way. Um, and right. and that, that feels like a big part of it to me, um, especially with the cover. Um, really captures that kind of disconnect that, mm-hmm. you, that, that you kind of talk about. I, I can't remember if it was in Sunburning where you talk about the the kind of how you, how your brain responds to things differently or reacts differently or kind of imagines things. Um, yeah. Um, I had a story about these perceptual disturbances in Sunburning and I had one in Miseryland, one or two. Um and during periods of my life, I have, I, it's illusions, I guess is one word. Um, they're not hallucinations because they're not psychotic. Um, they're, you know, they're not psychiatric in origin. Um, and it's been like this big, long hunt. I mean, for years I've been trying to figure out what causes these things and why they happen to me. And it's really hard to find information online, you know, there's not like a support group (laughs) that I've found, although I'm probably on the cusp of it. Um, So, uh, so that's what the cover is, you know, on sunburning. um, It's me. I, I can feel my feet, but they don't seem to be attached. You know, like I, I have the sensation sometimes when I can't feel, you know, a large part of my body. Um, But there are other ones, you know, I talk about like scale, People seem to be the wrong size. My hands, the room seems to be the wrong size. I feel like I'm standing on something when I'm not. Um, the planes in the room seem really weird. It's either like a ramp or tables seem too high or too low. Um, and it, sometimes I see things in the wrong place or I smell things wrong or hear things you know that aren't there. Um, and I've felt things that aren't there. Like I had stitches once and I was closing my eyes for the whole thing. She was, um, a dermatologist was biopsy and a rash and she was stitching up my wrist and she was the most casual woman she like I had a mole removed from my head once at Northwestern Hospital you know because it just like looks suspicious and it was totally nothing and fine um, but it was really gross and they put me in a hospital gown and it was like a surgery you know like yeah. a big procedure but this dermatologist you just sit in a chair she just be talking to you in mid-sentence, like slice off something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I was always afraid that there would be blood everywhere, because um, she didn't seem to be like paying any attention to what she was doing. And um, so this time, my hand was just like sitting on her knee, which was very strange, <laughs> kind of familiar thing to <laughs> have somebody do with your hand. Um, and anyway, I was just closing my eyes. I felt all this blood trickle down my wrist into my hand, and I could feel it pooling into the spaces between my fingers. And I thought, oh, I've got to keep my fingers really closely clenched so that the blood doesn't get all over her skirt. 
Um, and I couldn't do it. I felt my fingers like open up just a little bit and I felt the blood like dripping. Um, and she was still talking. So I thought, well, this is going to be so awkward, <laughs> you know, what she's done. Like, what am I going to say? Do I apologize for like getting my blood on her? But it was her choice um, yeah. to put my hand there. Anyway, there was no blood at all. Um, of course there wasn't, you know, <laughs> it felt so real to me though. Um, so all these things, you know, have happened. Um, I went to a neurologist, um, you know, when my psychiatrist said like, this is, I don't know what this is, you know, it's not psychotic. So maybe it's a temporal lobe seizure. So I was tested for seizures and I didn't have any seizures. Um, anyway, um, so I had another whole, um, batch of these when I was writing sunburning. Now I finally have two more, um, uh, I was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, in May, just a couple months ago. Um, so there is a lesion on my temporal lobe, and it's very small, but, you know, like it could be causing these things, the neurologists say, but they can't be certain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I just switched psychiatrists. I have a new psychiatrist, and he said um, that it's something that can happen uh, because of trauma. So that, you know, when you're experiencing it, um, that these illusions, it's a very particular type of illusion that's not hallucination can happen. And that looking back at like when these clusters of things happened, um, it would make total sense to me for them to be trauma. Um, just because I had the batch, um, when I had a bunch of them when I was, being like a year ago, they were looking for MS. They thought it was, but they couldn't confirm it. So they gave me like a million MRIs and yeah. spinal tap and all this stuff. Um, Very invasive. But then at the end of the summer, there was still like a 1% chance that I didn't have it. You know, <laughs> so I was clinging to that because they couldn't prove with MS diagnosis, you have to prove that things happen at more than one point in time. Mm-hmm. And they were just discovering that everything was there then. Um, so anyway, I, I waited a year. Um, and had a vision problem and went back and new MRI and new lesion. And so that was that. Um, so it's either MS or trauma or still something to be determined. Wow. Um, have you been able to kind of navigate it as you kind of understand it more, or is it just something that you just kind of deal with and just kind of have to like move around with this? Yeah, I mean, when it happens, I guess my therapist was very useful. She's, you kind of like rate how bad things really are as a way of becoming mindful, you know, Mm -hmm. just watching things and experiencing them without judging them. Um, So, I mean, the experiences, like if I'm aware that I'm in a bathroom and everything looks odd to me, um, the wrong size or something, I can just stand there and keep looking and talk to myself and say, you know, it's not hurting me. It's, you know, there's no reason for it to scare me. Nothing bad is happening, you know. Um, It's just, so it's gotten better. It's easier to handle, but it's like very disorienting. I mean, it just happened to me the other day on the beach. I saw, I was watching this woman this really gorgeous woman in a bikini walked by. <laughs> I was kind of I like to stare at the beach a lot. Um, <laughs> so I was just totally staring at her. And then all of a sudden, 
it, she seemed like the biggest woman I've ever seen. Like she seemed like she was seven feet tall. Yeah. Um, and she was walking past people and I'm like, okay, she's walking past that man. That man has got to be you know, like over five, eight. Um, how tall does that make her? And I was trying to calculate it. And then I was trying to figure out like what plane they were standing on and how far away they were. Anyway, the more I thought about it, like the larger she seemed and the more impossible, like she was a giant. Um, but, you know... I don't know. It's kind of fascinating. I mean, it's, I don't know if you can get over like the scary part. Um, <laughs> like it is really interesting to experience the world in a different way. It makes you really look at things, I guess. It's like momentary psychedelic experiences. I guess. I mean, I've never done psychedelic drugs, but it's, it probably is like that, you know? Yeah. I, I haven't either, but I'm just projecting. I don't know. Yeah. Based on what we hear. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 I mean, we were talking a little bit before about both this, before we started the interview. One of the things that I'm kind of in my own life is, because uh, my dad's stroke, is seeing how he kind of navigates the world and kind of moves in spaces and um, kind of understands things. And um, just the brain is weird. It is weird. Yes. I think, I don't know. That's not really a resolving statement, but... No, it's really weird. I mean, the, you know, I felt like I always really trusted my brain. Like, I think when you grow up, you think your brain is really who you are. It's not going to change. I mean, you're going to hopefully get smarter and wiser and everything, but you're, you think your personality is what it is and it's going to stay the same and all this other stuff. Um, one of the things that I've had a really hard time with over the last few years, but like definitely over the last couple of months is my memory. Um, I get really confused and I have a hard time concentrating and I forget all kinds of things that never used to be a problem for me. Um, and I was like, God, I, like I had that faculty you know? and now I, I can't trust myself at all. I have to write everything down and I write things down and I still forget to look at them, you know, yeah. I look at my calendar. So tomorrow is my wedding anniversary for um, Scott and I have been married 15 years. And not only did I forget that my anniversary was approaching or that it was on that day, I made plans with two other friends separately. <laughs> and I realized like, when I was checking out one plan, like, oh, there's, there's somebody else on the calendar. And I was like, oh, wait, it's also my anniversary. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just scheduling is a total nightmare. Yeah. That's, uh, I feel you. I kind of understand. Not to that level, um, but it's definitely something where I'm at that age where my brain isn't working the same way anymore. Yeah. Um, maybe part of it is just how the last year has been, um, but it's, uh, it keeps changing. I don't yeah, know. well, stress. I mean, stress totally um wrecks your memory and if your sleep is any different that does you know your yeah. concentration um going through these things uh while working on the book um are you trying to find a balance and not letting it take over the work um or like yeah because it's yeah i don't want the whole i don't want most of my stuff to be about 
problems I'm having. (laughs) (laughs) I want at least half of it to be funny. Um, So, I don't know. It's, I guess that's the thing that makes me not want to write right now at this like exact moment, but I'm sure it'll come back again. I don't have a sense of humor about a lot of things right now. Um, yeah. it just se- things seem really shitty. Um, like on top of, you know, the MS diagnosis and all this stuff, like now I have a thyroid problem, you know, and this, it's like a whole new problem. I have no energy at all. Like I can't even take a long walk. Um, my legs feel strange. Um, it's like, I, um, I'm waiting for test results, you know, to tell me exactly what terrible thing is happening. You know, I might have to have surgery. I might have to have something biopsied. It's like all this, it's like, I won't even find out what's going on when I finally get these results. I'll find out that I need to take more tests, you know, and what they'll be eventually. And then I have to wait for those. Like I'm in this whole summer of health feeling bad and this weird waiting game. Um, And it's like, I don't, I mean, I think it's fine to tell people what's going on in your life. And in some ways I want people to know, like, this is why I'm so terrible at writing emails back right now. (laughs) You know, I really do need to kind of like make giant excuses for myself. and I'm trying to simplify my life and, you know, cut out everything. I've been like napping every day, which I've never done before. Um, but I do believe this is all temporary. I think this stuff will be worked out. I'm sure I will have a sense of humor about it, like as time passes. And that's the point when I want to write about it, you know, um, when I can really condense it to like the few moments that are pretty interesting. I mean, even though like this, this stuff is like very stressful, um, it's still like fascinating, you know, it's still like an interesting way to live your life. Um, the hospital in Evanston, I have spent so much time there now, but it's one of the most interesting buildings I've ever been in. And so like part of me is always like, Oh, I've never been in the, you know, (laughs) the hallway for that specialty. (laughs) I wonder what it's like. Um, you know, I think doctors have fascinating personalities. Usually, um, I do like learning about the body and how things work. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't even mind getting an MRI anymore. I mean, I don't even check that I'm claustrophobic. I'm like totally fine with that whole process. Um, That's all. Yeah, it's like super loud. (laughs) It's fine. Um, I mean, you know, it's just, um, I don't know. I'm just, the thing that's like the worst part of any of it is that, you know, these things like trigger depression, you know, for most people they would. And for me, it certainly does. I mean, I'm prone to that as like, as can be. Yeah. So it always comes back to that, like fighting depression and fighting anxiety, which is like the same old story. And I have all these, you know, I have my support network. I have all these lifestyle things that I do and, you know, whatnot. Um, but I, it's like this whole thing about that people do, they compare themselves, you know, well, yeah. at least this isn't happening. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it has it worse. No, it doesn't matter. And it's also like, for me, the worst is the depression and the anxiety. It does not get worse than that, than those feelings. Um, panic, a panic attack is worse for me than any moment when, you know, I was 
like being told I had MS or like feeling like, I mean, my vision, you know, I lost vision partially in one eye for a while and it was like right before TCAF and I was wondering if I would be able to draw on people's books. Um, but like the situation isn't that bad, like who cares? If I couldn't sign books, I couldn't sign books, you know, I was able to, but like that's not that big of a deal. It's the anxiety that you feel like wondering how bad it's going to be and just like, you know, having that get out of control, feeling like the world is like a totally unsafe place and fearful every moment and catastrophizing and all that stuff like that is the problem. And I was thinking like, you know, the people, people who kill themselves, um, I mean, I'm not suicidal or anything, but um, the people who actually carry it out, it's because of the depression, the anxiety, yeah. the mania. It's not because of their circumstances. I mean, it can be triggered by their circumstances, but it's like people don't kill themselves once they are diagnosed with cancer, you know? No. They usually fight like hell, <laughs> you know? Um, which is, it makes you... I'm not saying that depression is worse than cancer because I don't want to have cancer, but um, I'm just it's, saying that there's you know. no there's no um, measuring stick for this. There's no measuring stick, and I'm just like it's the mental torment that in the end is gonna do you in a lot of times. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've never been in like horrible chronic pain. I'm sure that's really, really awful. There's there's something to be said about about that 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 candor and that honesty, uh, and we we talked a bit about this before before we started again, um, where I'm really blunt about what, what what's going on with me right now, um, and and that that's also part of how you you kind of have to navigate these situations where shit's not okay, I'm not okay. And I just need to do this, and and there's no, there's no quantifying it. There's no saying, you know, I've had a cold for five days, and I need to take this medication, and it'll be okay. It's it's such an experiential thing. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So, I guess like now I'm rambling totally, but <laughs> whatever. No, not at all. Here's the thing. Okay. Here's how I feel about autobiocomics. Um, you know, whatever happens in my life may end up being material or not um it's unpredictable but ultimately like i want my work to be honest but funny and like entertaining and a good story to me is always you know something that has like entertainment value you know it doesn't matter what it's about um and i think a lot of people like label certain categories like oh if you talk about your grandkids that's totally boring <laughs> you know nobody else would possibly care but I don't think that's true at all. And like people often say, like especially older people, they'll say, oh God, they went on and on about their health problems, you know? But I don't think it's a problem to talk about your health problems if you can do it in an entertaining, engaging way. Yeah. Um, it's just when people like complain or brag, you know, that's what people don't really want to be hearing. Um, yeah. So anyway, all this stuff is happening and I'm trying to sort of package it in this way and, and put it out there. Um, uh, I definitely had something else on my mind, and I totally lost track of what it was. One of the things I'm thinking about with with what we're talking about right now is like w we we have talked a bunch about how you are dealing with a lot of stuff and going through a lot of stuff. But at the same part, you don't want that your work to be reflective of all that because 
that isn't your whole life. Um, right. And I think, and, and that's the thing gathering is you want to kind of capture what life is completely. You're going to have these really tough moments. And then you're also going to have your daughter say something amazing and profound. Um, and then you'll have those small arguments with your husband or, you know, those quiet moments with your friend at the spa where you kind of reflect on bodies and how we navigate the space that way. Um, and I think that, and then that's kind of one of the appreciations I really got from your work is it's, it's that kind of rounded idea where it's not just one thing. Thank Life you. is complicated. It is complicated. Yeah. I mean, I love that contrast. I love, um, um, I love television shows and movies where, you know, like the closer they mix those things in, you know, the bad and the good, you know, the funnier the tragic scene is, the more engaged I am. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been at a bunch of conventions this year. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you doing any coming up? Yeah, um, SPX and CXC uh, are going to be... Um, the ones I'm doing in the fall. All the ex-cons? Mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> Just for Zia. Um, his name starts with X. <laughs> um, We're taking her along to both of them, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. How does she like the experience, the conventioning? Uh, it's mixed. I mean, she's pretty good about it. You know, she's on the iPad a lot of the time. Um, it's just hard to say. I mean, every year, kids change so much from year to year, so you think you sort of figure things out when they're five, but then when they're six, they deal with a convention or any a number of things in a very different way. So you have to sort of figure it out. But... Well, thank you for taking the time with me today to talk about your comics. Uh, reminder, folks, I've been talking to Kyla Roberts, and her latest book is Sunburning from Koyama, as well as the Powdered Milk mini-comics, including the collection Misery Land and the previously titled Powdered Milk. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time with me today uh, and dealing with my, my blundering inexperience of late. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. This was great. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, and I got a lot out of this. And I do really appreciate your, your kind of honesty about this stuff. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sugar Dumpling, you my baby, I love you in every way. Sugar Dumpling, you my baby, my love grows every day yeah sugar dumpling you my baby i love you in every way yeah sugar dumpling you my baby my love roast on every day look listen while i tell you a story a story about my girl Dumpling because she's the sweetest thing in this world.
Seven different kinds of meat If I called her up at two o'clock in the morning And said, come on over if you can Before I hang up the telephone She's sitting beside me with a cup of coffee in her